this morning we are starting our new series on the life of Christ, uh, which is going to last for a while. And I introed this uh, series last week um, as we wrapped up our series on the church. So if you missed that, it would probably be good to go back and listen to that. I, I will do a little bit of introduction and review this morning. But this, uh, this sermon series is going to be based on the word Christoformity. Everybody say Christoformity which means to be formed in the image of Christ. God desires for us to be formed and conformed and reformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So as we look at the life of Jesus in the coming months, year, whatever it is, as we look at the life of Jesus, we're going to specifically have an eye towards what does it mean to be conformed into the image of his son. This morning, uh, two quick notes before I continue on, one is, as you can see, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's table uh, this morning. And uh, if there's a more profound act of conformity, I don't know what it is to, to Christ in the, in the Christian walk. This is the picture of being conformed to the image of the Son. As we come and we eat the broken body and we drink the blood shed for us, for the remission of sins, what we're saying is, I only have life because you give it to me. I only have forgiveness because you have forgiven me. I can only live rightly with my community because you first have forgiven me and made that possible through the cross. And so um, as I go into the sermon this morning, what I want to invite you to do is to begin reflecting now um, throughout the whole service, rather than waiting till we come to the table to all of a sudden get introspective and, you know, am I taking this in a worthy manner? Spend the next 20 minutes preparing, listening, allowing the Spirit and the Word of God to wash over you, to be conformed into His image. So just take a moment, and I would just invite you to pray that as we approach the table, as we listen to the Word this morning, and then as we approach the table that each of us would be conformed deeper into the image of his son. Can you do that for a moment? May we be conformed in your image, Jesus. May we be more like you. <laughs> Every day. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, the second thing I want to do is I want to do a little bit of an object lesson, because I like that kind of thing. So, Lane, can you turn off the lights? All right. Let's, let's sit in darkness for a minute. This morning, we are uh, looking at Jesus in creation, in Genesis 1. So the life of Jesus did not start when he was born to Mary. Jesus preexisted all things. So as we begin this series, we're actually going to start in Genesis. We're going to start in the Old Testament. So let's be in the darkness, because out of the darkness is how God created. So take a minute in this same quiet space, and just be in the darkness. Imagine what it was like before God created anything. All right, and then, Lane, when I say, let there be light, you can bring up the lights, okay? Okay, as I read this account, remember that in the beginning, God created, but also in the beginning was the Word. And everything that has come into being came into being through the Word. So this is Jesus with the Father, and the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth 
was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning on that first day. So this morning, Jesus in creation, Christoformity becoming like Christ. Beth just prayed this. This is a little bit of review from last week. PFC stands for Parker Ford Church, but it also stands for this special um, assignment, the special thing that the Lord has spoken over us. Uh, that has been a tagline for Parker Ford Church over the last dozen years, which is a people following Christ. So we are Parker Ford Church, but we are a people following Christ, which begs several questions, like, what does that actually mean? Because we can say we're following Christ, but what does it actually mean for you to follow Christ? What does it mean for me to follow Christ? What does it mean for us to follow Christ? How do we follow Christ? And what is meant to happen within us? What's the point? of following Christ. Well, the point is Christoformity. As a local church, we exist to cultivate a culture among us of Christoformity, being formed in the image of Christ. Because the goal of following Jesus is what? To become like Jesus. That is why we follow Jesus. We follow him to glorify him. We follow him to honor him. We follow him to bless him. But then from a personal motivation, what what the goal for us in that process is, is that we become like Jesus, become like our teacher, like our rabbi, like our master, like our savior. So beginning this week, as we're starting this new series on the life of Jesus, we're going to take time to look at Jesus in the Old Testament, the birth of Jesus, his childhood, his words, his teachings, his parables, his actions, his miracles, his example, and his life, death, and resurrection, and ascension. The goal of this whole series is Christoformity, that we may be conformed into his image and experience true and lasting spiritual transformation. The scriptures uh, describe this process in a number of ways. Um, Here are two key verses from the Greek word symorphous, which means having the same form as another, similar, or being conformed to. In Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 29, Paul writes, For those whom he foreknew, and he also predestined to be conformed into the image of the Son. So those of us in Christ, having God pursue us and bring us into his family through his Son, he did this that he might conform us to the image of his Son in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And in Philippians 3, verses 20, 21, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's where you and I ultimately belong, the new heavens and the new earth. And from it, we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, same word, same Greek word, transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so as we follow Jesus, as Jesus says to us today, just like he did to his first disciples, come follow me and I will make you. And of course, for those first disciples, he said what? Fishers of men. But there's all sorts of things that Jesus makes his disciples into. One of those key things is fishing for other men, that we would learn 
how to draw others into the kingdom, but he also teaches us how to be merciful like he is merciful and kind, compassionate, sacrificial, all of the different things that he embodies. We are being conformed. That is his invitation to you, to be conformed into that. So this week, we're going to start at the beginning, because long before the incarnation, Jesus was already at work in the world. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the word. I already read from Genesis 1, and we'll go back there, but where where I want to go next is this really beautiful passage in Colossians chapter 1. Paul is writing this, if you don't know Colossians 1, I would just really want to invite you this week to spend time meditating on the beauty of Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. This is just a, just a majestic description of who Jesus is. And notice what Paul says. He could have said all sorts of things about Jesus, but notice what he says about him. In verse 5, starting in verse 15, Paul says, He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and in invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It's a key phrase here. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says much the same thing. He says, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. From whom and for whom. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So in the beginning, Jesus was creating. And all things were created through him and all things were created for him. So for us to be conformed into the image of his son, we have to recognize that you and I were created by Jesus for Jesus. Your life is rightfully his. My life is rightfully his. This includes every component of what makes you, you, and what makes me, me. If we're going to be conformed into the image of the Son, of the Son of of God, step one is to say he has the right to do that. You know what I'm saying? Step one is to say to the Lord, you have the right. I was created by you, and I was created for you, which means there is nothing off limits in my life that you are not allowed to point out and change. So go ahead and take a moment and think about this. Is there something or some things in your life that are off limits to God? There is no such thing as a sacred, secular divide within us. 
all things belong to God, which means that this moment when we're sitting here listening to a sermon, it belongs to God. And that's obvious, because we're here at church. But when you go to the Ice House this afternoon for lunch, or Dunkin' Donuts tomorrow morning, or you're sitting in your cubicle, or flying a plane, or whatever it is that you do, that is every bit as much belonging to God as this moment. And if we're going to be conformed into his image, we have to recognize the fact that every moment with God is sacred. There is not a sacred time and a secular time. Every moment belongs to God, which means he can conform us at all times because we are created through him and for him. So that's point one. I'm going to do like the traditional three points this morning. Are you excited? I've got three points for you. Isn't that awesome? It's probably the first sermon in two years. I've had three points. I need to come up with a poem real quick for the end of the service, and then it'll be official. Genesis 1. So this is the second point from the creation story. Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, what did he say? What's the first thing God creates? Light really important. The first thing that God creates is light. Let there be light. In John chapter 1, the, the apostle John, the disciple John, is riffing on Genesis 1. He's, he's hyperlinking his passage, you know, the blue glowing hyperlink that you press on in a web page and it takes you back to another thing. I, I'm stealing this analogy from, from another a Bible teacher, but he's hyperlinking uh, with a blue glowing click on it, and it will take you back to Genesis 1. That is what this is, a hyperlink. We're right back to the beginning. John says, in the beginning was the word. <laughs> Do you know what that word is in Greek? You, you all have heard this before, right? Logos. Yeah, in the beginning was logos, which, which is sort of like the English word, word, but not quite, and we'll look at that later. But in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now watch what John does here. Remember, what's the first thing God creates in the beginning? Light. In him was life, and the life was the what? Light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you see the parallels here? Not just with Jesus as the word in the beginning with God, but also the first act is the light shining in the darkness. Verse 6 says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about what? About the light. He came to bear witness that here is the actual light, the first of God's works, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
this imagery of light continues throughout the book of John. It's a theme that shows up over and over in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 8, this is right after the woman who's caught in adultery. Do you remember that story? And they bring her before Jesus and they say, she deserves death according to the law. What do you say? And he says, let the first uh, without sin be the first to cast the stone. You you remember that story? And then they all drop their stones and walk away. And he says, has no one condemned you? Neither do I. But go and sin no more. And then this passage comes. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, what's he say? I am the light of the world. There's eight I am statements in the book of John. Seven, if you don't count later in chapter nine, where he just says, I am. But there's eight of these phrases, I am, and this is the one where he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from, come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So Jesus stands up and says, I am that light. That light in the beginning, I am the light of the world. Now, we're going to jump back in John 3 to probably the most famous passage in the Bible for Americans. Uh, John 3, right? John 3, 16. Everybody knows this verse. All right, I'm going to put a slight wrinkle in it. And please don't throw stuff at me. There has been a long-standing scholarly debate about whether or not these are Jesus' words or John's words. It actually makes more sense in the context if John is speaking them as commentary over Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. So John 3.16, there's not quotations. There's no like marks of quotation in the Greek text, which means you have to sort of surmise who said what based on context and that sort of thing. And so um, for a long time, scholars have actually thought that this is John's commentary on Jesus's interaction with Nicodemus, not Jesus's words. So this is John bearing witness in that understanding of the text. It's John bearing witness to what just happened with Jesus and Nicodemus. All right, regardless, it's beautiful and it speaks deeply about the character um, and nature of God. But notice what he says about light. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light 
has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Which brings me to my second point. If we're going to be conformed to the image of his son by looking at this passage of creation and Jesus' role in creation, we need to see that the first thing that Jesus creates in any situation is light, because he is light. So wherever he goes, there's a flood of light. The first act of conformity, like the first actual step we take beyond the confession of I was created by you and for you is to step into his light, which is very related to that first one. I was created by you and for you, which means I belong to you, which means that I was designed by you to step into this light and have every piece of me exposed to you. His light is not to be sequestered. Isn't that a fun word? Everybody say sequestered. I just wanted an excuse to use the word sequestered. It does work there. His light is not meant to be pushed off to the side or relegated to some minor role. Every nook and crevice of our lives is seen and known by Jesus. And so much of being conformed, in my experience, my limited experience, but certainly the wisdom I've gained from people who have gone before me and mentored me and taught me and stories I've learned from, so much of what it means to be conformed into the image of Jesus is as simple as this. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. I mean, that is the basis of being conformed into the image of God, to say, here is your light. Here is my life. Speak what is true. This is a significant part of why confession is so important in the Christian life. Because when we're confessing, what are we doing? We're bringing it into the light. The things we struggle with, the pain we're experiencing, the things we're embarrassed of. I've noticed I've had so much healing in my life by just being honest about situations that I'm embarrassed by. Where I made a fool of myself or... You know what I mean? And then I just speak honestly about it, both to the Lord and my wife or, you know, someone else, that it's just, it's like the light of Jesus just flooding over and um, cleansing and conforming in that way. So the first thing Jesus creates is light. And the first act of conformity to Christ is to step into his light. So brothers and sisters, let me invite you today to step intentionally into the light. Jesus. All right, third point. I'm going to go back to that logos idea. John 1, in the beginning was the word. So this, word, this Greek word here is logos. Everybody say logos. 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 This is from Strong's Greek Concordance. In John, this word means all sorts of things, but in this context, in John, what it denotes is the essential word of God, capital W, word of God. Jesus Christ, the personal wisdom and power in union with God. 
there it starts to get the, con uh, the fuller meaning of the word because logos also means wisdom. So in the beginning was the word, the spoken word of God, but also the wisdom of God. So it says uh, his minister, that's Jesus, in creation and government of the universe, the cause of all the world's life, both physical and ethical. If you, <laughs> you the, the major breakdown of atheism and naturalism is that there is no basis of morality. That, that, is, that is the absolute breakdown of a naturalistic worldview, is when you remove God from it, there is nothing on which to base ethics or morals. Nothing. It's just complete utilitarianism. So, we as Christians believe that there is something to base morals and ethics on. And it's not, it's not just written commandments. It's actually a person. We're supposed to worship in spirit and truth. Truth is more than a list of statements handed down by God. Truth is a person. Truth is a person. Who is that person? Truth is Jesus. He is the word, the wisdom, the ethical being that, on which everything comes from. So it goes on to say, which for the procurement of man's salvation put on human nature in the person of Jesus the Messiah, the second person in the Godhead, and shone forth conspicuously from his words and deeds. All right, there's this crazy passage in the book of Proverbs. There's this interaction in the book of Proverbs, the first half of the book, that keeps um, comparing two women. Do you, do you know who they are, the two women? It's Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom. And uh, the writer of Proverbs, you know, traditionally that's been considered to be Solomon. So Solomon, speaking to his sons, is saying, there are two different ways of living, two general ways of living. And one is crying out, the, the way of folly. And what folly does is it cries out to young men, and it ensnares them, and it seeks them uh, to, to fall into temptation and to lust and to foolishness and so on. And then it, at the very beginning of uh, Proverbs 8 is one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. It says, does not wisdom cry out also? And then Lady Wisdom begins to speak. And it gets to this verse. And listen to what it says about wisdom. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. This should be recalling, hyperlinking to verses we've already looked at. Firstborn of creation, image of God, made by him through him. Okay. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. So right away... A good Bible reader should be going back to Genesis 1. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. So before God said, let there be light. When there were no depths, I was already brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the, uh, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight. 
rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. Who is this talking about? It's talking about Jesus. This is talking about Jesus. All right. The connection is made a little bit more explicitly in the New Testament. Paul, again, riffing on this passage from Proverbs 8, says this, For I want you to know, Colossians 2, verse 1, how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So in Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the wisdom of God. And everything that has come into being came into being through the co-creation of the wisdom of God. See, it says, I want you to have full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 42, speaking of when, you know, Solomon has long been considered the wisest person to ever live, and the queen of the south came up and visited him to test his wisdom. Jesus recalls this story when he's speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something, someone greater than Solomon is here. And who's he speaking of? He's speaking of himself. Someone greater than Solomon is here. She traveled from the ends of the earth to hear from this very broken and very finite man. And yet here, the source of all wisdom is standing in front of you. Someone so much more glorious and greater than Solomon, and you will not listen. This should be both encouraging and a very serious warning to us. Jesus is the wisdom that created the world. He is the wisdom that gives life and sustains life. He is the wisdom of God and gives understanding and knowledge into the mysteries of godliness. So to be conformed into the image of Jesus, we have to come to the source of all wisdom. This is a book of, of God's revelation. We believe, I believe, with all my heart, that God has actually revealed who he is in the story and the scriptures, and what's been handed down to us. And we should read it as revelation, that God has broken through the silence and spoken to his people. But it's also a book of wisdom. It's also a book that teaches us how to live, how to think. It's a book that shows us ways that people have failed, <laughs> over and over again. It's a book that teaches us what to do in times of failure. In short, it's not only a book of revelation, it's a book of wisdom. It's both. 
we should approach it that way, to glean wisdom, <laughs> to learn about the ways of God and to be conformed to his image. All right, so here are my three points. Are you taking notes? Jesus in creation, how are we conformed to his image by looking at the creation story? I think it shows us all sorts of beautiful things, but here are the three things that stood out to me when I was praying for you and I in studying this passage. Firstly, all things were made by him and for him. Secondly, Jesus is the light of the world. The first created thing is light. Jesus is that light. To be conformed into his image, we must step into the light. And thirdly, Jesus is the wisdom of God. He is the word, the logos. In him are found all the treasures of wisdom. He is the source of all ethics, the source of morality, the source of love, the source of life. Beauty, all things flow from Jesus. We're going to transition now to the communion table. And like I said at the beginning of the service, this is one of the most explicit acts of conformity for us. Where we come to this, and we come to the bread, and we come to the cup, and we do this in remembrance of Jesus, and we remember that... <laughs> That salvation, life, forgiveness, grace, mercy, all the treasures of what we have in Christ are made possible because of the cross, because of the death and sacrifice of Jesus. So what I want to encourage us today, as we come to the table, to just continue the prayer and just to say to the Lord, this is a great time to say, to confess to him, this is an area of my life that I would rather withhold from you. This is something about me that I would rather not shine light on. Whether it's a personality trait or a secret sin or, or whatever it is, an addiction or just a thought pattern that you know is not in line with who he is, this is an opportunity to come to the table and just lay it at the cross and invite Jesus to shine his light on it. So uh, those who are serving um, can come up, the worship team can come up. How we take communion here at Parker Ford during these services is you just come at your own pace, come down the center aisles and receive uh, the bread and the cup and then return to your seat through the outer aisles. And um, you come at your own pace, you won't be dismissed. The worship team will be uh, playing and you can join in the prayer and join in worship. And you are welcome to take the elements back to your seat. If you have any uh, dietary needs, there are gluten-free um, crackers, so just ask for it. So, um, again, you won't be dismissed as the worship team is playing. You can just come up at your own pace. Let's take a minute, and while they're getting ready, let's just be quiet. Let's confess before the Lord. <laughs> all of us, all of us sin. <laughs> all of us have fallen short. John says in the book, uh, in the epistle that he wrote in 1 John, um, he who says he is without sin is a liar and makes God out to be a liar. So every single one of us can sit here this morning and we can uh, find a million things to confess. But the goal, the purpose again, is to be conformed, to become like Jesus and to receive his forgiveness. So just go into a place for a moment of just confession that leads you in to the table. John chapter 1, verse 35, the next day, 
Again, John was standing with two of his disciples, that's John the Baptist, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they left John and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He, follow, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. So brothers and sisters, uh, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, your walk with the Lord, whether to hear a word like Christoformity, to hear a message like be conformed to the image of Son, for some of that, us, that might feel heavy because of a season of life we're in or struggles we're going through. It may seem impossible because of failed attempts at that in the past, or it may be really exciting. What what I'd like to do is just for a moment let you know that through the cross, (laughs) the slate is wiped clean in the sense of just being able to stand boldly before God. And so wherever you're at in your journey with him, your walk with him today, As Jesus says to you, come follow me and I will make you. Let that be a joyous call. Let that be a joyful call to your spirit. (laughs) So whether you're in your 90s or you're 14 years old in here, Jesus is saying, come follow me and I will make you. And there is no greater adventure than that. There is no greater adventure than to hear Jesus say, follow me, and to step into it. Everything else the world has to offer comes and goes. That is the one call that lasts for eternity. So brothers and sisters, may you be blessed by the words of Christ. Come follow me. May we as a congregation, as a people following Christ, may we hear that call and truly follow Jesus and know what it's like to be transformed into his image. Be blessed, go with God, follow him in every moment, every day. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.